With the 14th pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the Boston Celtics select Romeo Langford, Grant Williams, Carson Edwards, Tremont Waters, Vincent Poirier, Javante Green, Robert Williams III, Jimmy Ogilvy, Brad Wanamaker, Daniel Tice, Ennis Cantor, Taco Falls, Marcus Smart, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, from the University of Connecticut. Hey guys, welcome back to From the Rafters, presented by Bannertown USA. Uh, I got Adam Taylor here from SB Nation. Yeah, what up, what up? Thanks for having me on, Jack, man. Of course, thank you for coming. I appreciate it a lot. Um, so today I thought with the trade deadline right around the corner and the all-star break and all of that stuff, we talk about some potential trades that could help the playoff push. So um, I think the big name going around the market right now is Andre Drummond and Pistons. What are your thoughts on that? Hell no. You don't want um, him? No. If you've ever seen me on Twitter over the last like mm-hmm. week, you'll just see feed after feed of me just um, giving out reasons why he's not a good fit. Okay. I, I would agree. I don't think especially because there's no way to make the money work without giving up Hayward. Like, I was a big fan of it at first. I'm like, okay, we could use the rebounding. But the more I see Cantor play the way he's playing, I just don't think it's necessary for us to trade Hayward for a guy like Drummond. You see, the thing is, everybody gets caught up in the defensive rebounding because his numbers are so high. And that's, that's cool, dude. But the problem is, the majority of those rebounds are coming off him getting blown by. So he he's terrible outside of the paint. He's a great shot changer. He'll change. He'll get guys to adjust their shot. He'll protect the rim in that aspect. He can get some blocks because he's a big, strong dude. But as soon as he's pulled out of the paint, he's useless, dude. He's the same as Cantor in that se- um, sense. Same as um, Stephen Adams is another name. It's the similar thing with him. Maybe to a, a lesser extent with Stephen Adams. But these guys, put them in a pick and roll, put them in an ISO position when they've been switched onto a wing or a guard. And they're, they're, too, they're not laterally quick enough to actually keep up with these guys. So they get blown by. And you saw it with Drummond the other day. If you go on my Twitter feed, you'll see where I've put a few. And he's kind of jogging up the court after, after a turnover. Or So those rebounds are all well and good. But they're coming because he's been screwed on defense, dude. People have just put him in a blender. And if they've been unsuccessful at the rim due to defense elsewhere, then he can go and grab the board. I completely agree. It's 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 like you see the numbers and you think he's an amazing rebounder, and he is. I'm not going to knock him. He's one of the like best rebounders in the league right now. But you got to think like the offensive rebounds he gets too. That team around him is just full of like average talent. Like they'll make some shots, but you got to imagine that those offensive rebounds, rebounding stats are inflated because of the team around him too. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's similar to Russell Westbrook. <laughs> Russell. Yep. Westbrook gets rebounds because teams prioritize him getting the rebounds due to how quickly he can push push the action up the floor. Stephen Adams' rebounding numbers were lower than what they would have been because the primary objective was let Russell get the rebound, let him run the floor and make something happen in transition or get to the bucket. With Drummond, it's let Drummond get the rebound because he's the biggest guy there. The problem is as well, Cantor's, to me, Cantor's rebounding is actually value, more valuable than Drummond's simply because Cantor does most of his rebounding on the offensive end. So mm-hmm. 
when you've got Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, all averaging on or around seven rebounds per game, it's okay to have a guy who values offensive boards more because there's free wing players that generally there's one of those three on the court at all time that are going to be there to grab a board. Cantor can go and keep possessions alive, especially with a team like this, where they can just all of a sudden hit shooting troubles and it'll last for games on end. Having somebody like Cantor there to kind of mop up those misses is really valuable to this team. And he's actually kept games close on multiple occasions simply because of that fact. I agree. And if you look at Cantor's rebounding, the last three games, he's had nine rebounds, 19 rebounds, and 11 rebounds. Like, it's not like at this point you can say the Celtics have a have a team without any rebounders. I tweeted this out at the beginning of the season when I saw Cantor play. I was like, the Celtics, for the first time in a long time, have a big that can rebound. Like, it's the first time, I think, since uh, Kevin Garnett that the Celtics have a truly, like, good rebounding big man. Like, Horford, he was a good guy, but he fucking, he cowered away from the ball on some free throws. Like, those clips are iconic. And then, like, before that, what, we have Brandon Bass down in the paint. Like, Cantor's the first guy on the Celtics who actually, like, enjoys rebounding and can get all of the rebounds. So, when you talk about a guy like Drummond who makes a massive amount of money and we'd have to trade one of our like better playmakers and better scorers on the team. I just don't think it's worth it at this point in the Celtic season. You see, so Drummond is a better basketball player than Enes Kanter. I, I think agree. that I think that if you di- if you disagree there, then you need to watch a little bit more Drummond. <laughs> just a bit more Drummond. I hate people that yeah. say watch more basketball. It's such an easy cop out. Just go online, watch a few game tapes of Drummond, watch his low lights, then watch some highlights. But what you'll see is he is a better player, but not to the tune of $23 million extra per year. Yep. Uh, he's also on that player option. Now, whether you feel like Gordon Hayward's going to opt into that player option then makes you decide, okay, so do you think Drummond's going to opt into that player option? Do you want either of those guys to opt into that player option or are you trying to get some flexibility? Now, a common misconception is if Hayward opts out, then the Celtics have some available cap space next year. No, dude. Not a chance. No. The the only the only good way this could work for the Celtics would be for Hayward to opt out and take a lesser deal with the Celtics, who own his bird rights, so they they can go over the cap to do so and kind of do what everybody was hoping Horford would do last year, take a little bit less over a longer term to get that security. Yeah. Difference is Hayward's at an age where he can go and sign a Matt's contract elsewhere. I just don't see another team offering him that max. So if he's happy in Boston, that could be a scenario that plays out. I agree. I think Hayward would be crazy not to take that player option. I think Boston's a great fit for him, and I don't think another team would offer him that much money. Not that he's not a good player, just that he's not the the same like secure player everyone knew that they had with the Utah Hayward. Now there's been all these injuries. I don't think he is going to leave Boston, in my opinion. But back to Drummond. If the Celtics aren't a good fit, which I agree with, where do you think he ends up? Because I don't think the Pistons keep him by the deadline. Where do you think they'll ship him off to? So one of the discussions was the Atlanta Hawks. Um, The Hawks come close to a deal according to, uh, I think it was NBA.com. I think the Ringer touched on it as well. But the Hawks weren't willing to give up any picks, especially for a guy that could walk at the end of the year. I don't see the fit there personally. The Hawks want shooting from everywhere. Adding Drummond does not give you shooting from everywhere. Mm -hmm. It it is a complete opposite. So that's just a ridiculous idea for me. The thing for Drummond is he's he's an old school center playing in the modern NBA. I agree. I just don't... There's so many 
things going on in the league right now that are like pushing shooting and everything. And that's just not him. It's kind of like the situation with DeMar DeRozan. Like he was such a homer and Toronto loved him, but they, the league is just evolving to a point where DeMar's mid-range shot isn't as effective anymore. And he's having a great stretch right now in San Antonio and leading them back in the playoff push. But people like Drummond and DeRozan just don't have a true place on a like really contending team in the NBA. One team that I saw would thought could be interesting is if you're Oklahoma city, would you trade Adams and some picks of the plethora of picks you had got from the Paul George and Russell Westbrook trades for Drummond? I just don't see why you do that. Adams is locked in a bit longer. So you've got him on a secure contract. He's also probably a bit more mobile than Drummond. And there isn't much of a fall off between Adams and Drummond either. Yeah. So Really, if you're doing that, you're just packaging him to remove a few of the picks, which is not what you want to do when you're a rebuilding team. Granted, their rebuild's been expedited by um, SGA just playing. Phenomenally. Oh, yeah. Insane. He's been amazing. Uh, but I really liked him in LA last year. I caught a Clippers yep. game when I was in LA last year, mm-hmm. and uh, he was impressive there. So I've followed him quite closely. I just don't see many places that fit for him. Part of me kind of casted a glance towards Toronto because they've got Gasol's contract expiring and they seem to like their big man to kind of... The one thing good about Drummond is he can facilitate an offense from the high post. Yeah. Not to Horford level, but he is a, a reasonable facilitator playing at that high post, which the Raptors like to do. Nick Nurse is quite a big fan of having a big that can facilitate. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's like you're saying, like, besides the Raptors, maybe if they wanted to do that trade and package a couple picks, there's just not many teams that have a real need for a guy like Drummond who has no lateral quickness, can't get out on the perimeter if he gets switched on, and just has such a big contract. The only team I could see as stupid enough to pull off a trade like this is the Knicks, who are just desperate for star talent at this point. Their, their fan base has been deprived of people for so long that I think they're just desperate to bring in a star. And I don't think it'd be a good move for their franchise with Mitchell Robinson, but that's the only team I could see potentially actually pulling the trigger on Drummond. So that's the thing, right? The Cavs are probably just as bad and probably just as likely to try and make a room. They're going to have a bucket load of cap space in the summer as well. But for the Knicks, it's you've got Mitch Robinson. Why do you need Andre Drummond? Why would you take those minutes away from Mitch who needs those developmental minutes to put in? And then who are you giving up? Is it going to be Randall? Because Randall's been quite good. And they've got a youth movement going on. I mean, a lot of people ridiculed the Knicks for the moves they made in the summer, but they were all very intelligent moves because a lot of those players are on team options for next year. So they can shed salary if a player becomes available quite quickly and still be a player in the market while having veteran leadership for these young guys. I know it hasn't gone to plan, but that the ability to shed salary like that and have those contracts that can be classed as expiring for trade negotiations it could just be a salary dump. I mean, having Drummond on a team like that, having a, a big rotation of Mitch Robinson and Drummond is actually quite fearsome. I agree. It's just, I, I agree that the moves weren't that bad. Like when the Knicks were making all these moves and everyone was complaining, I thought it wasn't awful. The only ones that were questionable for me were Wayne Ellington and Reggie Bullock because that was just extra wings. But I guess it's veteran leadership, as you said. I just don't, I don't know if it will fit well with Mitch Robinson. They're both they the Knicks would lack so much lateral quickness and being able to come out of the post because those two guys are just so dominant, like their touches down there, get all their rebounds, get all their blocks. But 
if you put them both down there at the same time, I just don't know what would happen. But, oh, no, um, they'd definitely have to play one-on-one off at all times. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, another name that's coming up, well, not even coming up, but it's just in the news a lot, Kevin Love throwing a tantrum on the court, just doing whatever the fuck he wants in Cleveland. I think someone needs to get him out of there. Where do you think he can end up? As long as it's not Boston, I don't give a fuck, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. He would be awful in Boston. We just don't need that. If anything, I think we quote-unquote need interior defense, even though we defend that position decently well without for a team without size. But Kevin Love would destroy that because he can't play defense down low. Uh, a couple teams I have written down potentially are maybe the Nuggets if they wanted to trade Paul Millsap's contract, the Raptors if they wanted shooting, but – I don't even know if they'd want to pull the trigger there. So I don't see the Cavs wanting to take on Paul Millsap because uh, mm-hmm. it has to work for both sides, right? I mean, Paul. I don't see the Nuggets wanting to give up Millsap either because he's their Horford. Yeah. He's a steadying hand that can do a bit of everything and he just goes about his business great. He kind of reminds me, in terms of mentality, not play style, so please don't get that twisted, people listening, but mentality and veteran like savviness, he's kind of going to be the next Zach Randolph. You know what I mean? Willing to take take a hit for the team, willing to t- start off the bench if it needs to be. I agree. that I like that comparison. It makes a lot of sense to me. Zach Randolph was always an underrated player. He was just like gritty, good on defense, could hit a shot if he needed to. And that's exactly what Paul Millsup has been for the, his whole career. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. Um, and he had a really successful period with the Hawks as well yeah. with Al Horford. So he knows what it takes to be successful in the league. I agree. Um, last name before we get into some Celtics and all-star talk that I wanted to bring up was Kyle Kuzma. He's coming off two super impressive games, one without LeBron and Davis. But before that, he was all over the trade discussion with LeBron and AD thinking they need some more talent or shooting around them. I just don't know. Obviously, I don't think the Celtics should trade for him. I don't think they have the means to trade for him. But a couple teams I thought could be interested, maybe a Grizzlies trade for Jay Crowder or to the Knicks for Marcus Morris. What do you think? So Marcus Morris is an interesting prospect. Both LA teams had interested in him interested in him during the summer. That actually makes sense from terms of like LeBron likes vets around him. Mook knows how to play. I'm a big fan of Mook. So it killed me to see another Celtic in, in fucking LA. Like that would be Rondo, Avery, and Mook all on the Lakers, right? I mean, that's tough. Um, Kuz, I mean, uh, Pelicans as well. Do they seem to love ex-Laker players? Uh, do, do they might, yeah, I know. They Join might back up. The Pelicans. Yeah, someone said that to me the other day. It was fantastic. It's hilarious. Um, I feel like yeah, the Knicks are probably a really good spot for him. Him alongside RJ Barrett, if they can make that work, would be quite interesting. Frank has been quite. Frank's actually been a bit better since Fisdale left as well. He's been prof- so that's a nice young, young core to start trying to build something around yeah. along with Mitch Robinson. I agree. I think pairing Kyle Kuzma at the power forward position with Mitch Robinson's defense inside it gives you a good way to stretch the floor. Have RJ run the point forward, Frank up for his defense. Then you got Julius Randle stills there, Alonzo Trier. I think that'd be a perfect young core for the Knicks to build around and get some Knicks fans excited. Yeah, I mean, the starting five, how I'd look at it, and this is just off the top of my head, so I might be wrong mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. would be Frank, Paul, RJ at the two or the three. Yeah, I'd probably go Frank at the one, RJ at the two, Kuzma at the three, Randall at the four, because Randall can hit the corner yeah. three. He'd done really well for that in New Orleans the uh, mm-hmm. previous season, and then Mitch at the five. 
That's a yeah. solid starting, solid young starting five. I agree. That that's really good, especially for all the Knicks fans are complaining about their team having too many vets and making all these bad signings. I think Kyle Kuzma trade would please the fans greatly, even though I feel like they're kind of rallying around Marcus Morris being their effectively their star this season because their season has just gone to shit. RJ Barrett is quote unquote underperforming, even though he's averaging 14, five and two for a rookie. And I think adding Kuzma would just shake it up enough to like excite their fans at least a little bit. You see, with RJ, RJ started the season strong. There was some games early in the year where I thought, God, this guy's going to be a real star real early. Kind of flashes of like Donovan Mitchell start to the year. Uh, he just hasn't been able to be as consistent as what Donovan was for the Jazz in his rookie year. But the one thing is, he might have just hit the rookie wall, dude. All Well, the majority of rookies at some point in their first year hit a wall to travel so much different to what they've ever been used to playing in different time zones on different on very, very close nights. Sometimes you'll play in a time one time zone on a Monday and the next day you're at a time zone that's three hours ahead or three hours behind. Your body clock's fucked. So especially for rookies, they 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 don't know how to handle it. That's why veteran leadership is so important to kind of show these guys how to take care of their bodies, how to regulate sleep patterns. These little things are what really go why teams value these vets so much. It's why Gerald Wallace was on the Celtics for so long during the early stages of their rebuild because he could help the rookies and the young guys acclimatize themselves to the rigors of the NBA. It's more than just how to put a ball in a hoop, how to deal with the media uh, talking shit about you. But at the same time, if you can get Kuzma for Mook and a couple of picks, then you got to do it. It's a business move. I agree. I agree completely. Uh, moving forward a little bit into all-star conversation, um, we'll leave Taka out of the conversation for now, even though I think that would be hilarious to see him get a bunch more votes. But um, I think there's a huge just battle for our all-star slots this year in both conferences, especially the East, though, because without the star potential of LeBron here anymore for the past few years, Kawhi's gone now. Just so many people leaving the East and so many more young guys stepping up to the plate. I think there's a lot more openness for new people to make the All-Star team. A couple people I've seen, one person in particular, I guess I should say, Trey Young. I personally don't think he should make the All-Star team, but I think he will. My reasoning is Devin Booker last season had crazy good numbers. Like I'm talking 26 points, six assists, but he didn't make the All-Star team because the Suns were awful. This year, the Hawks are, I think, maybe still the worst team in the NBA. No, second worst to the Warriors. But I don't think Trey Young should be an all-star because he's averaging crazy good numbers, but his team is just so bad. And there's other guys like Dinwiddie and Lowry who I think are on good teams who deserve it more. Okay, so let me ask you this. If there was better talent around Trey Young or more developed talent, because he's got the talent around him, they're just not developed yet. His numbers would go down for sure, but don't you expect? Wouldn't you expect his assists to go up because he orchestrates that offense? So his assist numbers could become like elite level, like never seen before level because his he can really move the rock. No, yeah, I agree. I think his assist numbers would go up, and in that situation, I would say he's an all star. And it's not fair to him. Like I think Booker should have made the all star team last year. Like he had great numbers, and I think I just think it's unfair to give it to a person on a, such a bad team when there's people like Dinwiddie and Lowry who are 
arguably leading their great teams to playoff spots. I don't think it's particularly fair to them to take a spot away from them to give it to a guy who's, first of all, he's so young. I'm not saying that has anything to do with it, but he'll, he'll have plenty of all-star appearances in his future. But I don't think it's fair to take it away from Dinwiddie and Lowry, or just the names I'm thinking of, since their teams are so much better than the Hawks. I mean, Dinwiddie's leading a team that's without its two best players. What more? He doesn't have that much talent around him. Uh, other than Jarrett Allen, I'm, a huge, I'm really high on Jarrett Allen. Um, Karis Levert as well, when he's not hurt, is good. Yeah, okay, I can see, I can see a train of thought. That's a, that's a fair train of thought. I like Trey, and I feel like him getting an all-star appearance is beneficial to his development. It will put him around some of the elite players. It might help him elevate his game to the next level over the summer. Uh, because that's what you're wanting at the moment. guys. They've got guys like Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter. Or those guys are going to keep improving as well. That team, that core on that team is really exciting, young core. Whether it's too soon, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. However, I just, go on, I think he will be an all-star. That's my thing. I think Dinwiddie and Lowry deserve it more, but I think Trey Young will get the spot because he's just getting so many fan votes. And I think like at least some of the coaches and media will vote him in. So I, I, I'm like 80% sure Trey Young will be an all-star. It's just a matter, in my opinion, of does he deserve to be at this point. Yeah, and I think that's going to split opinion quite quite a lot. In fact, if I, I'd like to see you do um, a Twitter vote about that tomorrow on the release of this episode or whenever the episode comes out. I Just would. because oh, it's a good idea to gauge what other people are thinking. Some people are really high on Trey and other people are really low. So it does depend. I mean, people will argue as well that guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are on a really good team so it makes them getting their points easier. So there's arguments to and for and against that train of thought on both sides of the coin. Mm -hmm. I agree for sure. Another name I wanted to bring up, I made my list. I made two lists for each conference. I made a list of people I think deserved it and a people of who I thought will get an all-star appearance. One of the guys I don't think deserves it necessarily right now. I didn't have Kyrie on my list. I have him on my will get it list because I think he will be an all-star because he's Kyrie Irving. But I think Dinwiddie should be an all-star over Kyrie Irving because of what he's done while Kyrie's been out for, what, two months because of a fucking boo-boo on his shoulder? Like, get out of here. I think Dinwiddie should be the all-star on that Nets team, and I don't think Kyrie deserves it. I feel I, I agree completely, and that's not just because it's Kyrie. I've said mm -hmm. this multiple times. I remember when Kobe done his ACL towards the end of his career, and he didn't play the next year, but he was still, like, top five in fan voting. It's like Curry right now. Yeah, dude. It ha it's just... It's really annoying, especially when you watch a bucket load of basketball. Um, I do think that the league should look into a way of saying like there has to be a minimum amount of games played to qualify for the All-Star game. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think because the way I look at it as well, and uh, a point that got put to me recently by, um, I can't think who it was. It might have been Keith Smith. Um, I was having a chat with him. I think it might have been him. It might have been somebody else. It might have been... Um, John Corrales. I can't remember who I was talking to, mm -hmm. but basically the way it was, was these guys, all-star appearances can make a huge difference in terms of finance, finances for these guys, guys like Jalen Brown. And he's the guy at the top of my head have stipulations in their contract. If you make an all-star appearance, you get a bonus and it's usually like 250 K 500 K 
if you've got multiple all-star appearances and you're going into a contract year, you're at a strong position to be like, hey, I'm an all-star. I deserve a max or close to a max contract. Missing out on an all-star appearance like Dinwiddie, missing out on that for Kyrie, who hasn't played really, and it doesn't benefit him because he's a max player anyway, is unfair on somebody like Dinwiddie that's going to need to either negotiate a new contract soon or is always a trade risk for a team chasing a championship. I agree. Definitely. I think that's a really good talking point, whether or not there should be a minimum amount of games played Mm -hmm. to be an all-star. I completely agree. Um, Getting into some Celtics, because we haven't talked about that a lot. Which of the big three, I'm talking Brown, Tatum, Kemba, do you think will be an all-star? Not deserves it, because I think all three of them kind of deserve it. But which, like, how many of them do you think will actually be in the all-star game this year? I'd like to think all three. Definitely, I'm very much cemented on Kemba and J- Jason will both be all-stars. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think Brown's a bit more deserving over Jason, and I'm a huge I agree. Guy. Um, but again, as we've just said, it's partly a popularity, popularity contest, and people yep. are a lot more high on Jason than they are Jalen for some reason. Mm-hmm. I fall into that trap sometimes too. Uh, so if one of the three were to miss out, I'd assume it would be Jalen. I agree. The point I've been bringing this up all season, I've gotten on Twitter arguments about it. I've gotten into argue with arguments with my brother, my friends. My point is, on the first podcast from the Raptors podcast, I talked about this. Jason Tatum this season is shooting 43% from the field, while Brown is shooting 49%. Now, Brown's been struggling a little bit lately, but that's okay because he's still shooting 39% from three, against Tatum 36. Everybody says that percentages aren't everything, but they are something. You can't just say, oh, who cares? Those are just percentages because they mean something. He's averaging less than a point less than Tatum. He's averaging virtually the same amount of assists and rebounds. So the only differentiating factor between them is their percentages. The only thing that might nip brown in the ass is that he's listed as a guard so he'll have to go up against the guards while tatum's against the forwards but i think brown deserves to be an all-star more than tatum this season even though i think like you said popularity contest tatum will get it so here's a nice little statistic for you i like throwing this one around at the moment jason tatum early in his career first year mainly um he was utilized as a corner free specialist right i mean if you got jail in the ball Jason, sorry. The, Jason Tatum was used as a corner free specialist. If you got him the ball in the corner, it was cash. Yeah. Do you know what his percentage is from the corner this year? What? 32%. Wow. That's terrible. Yeah, he's in the bottom 21% of um, players in the league for shooting from the corner. Wow. I love Tatum as much as the next guy. It's just th- these percentages, man. They're getting down. The thing with it is, is and you saw it with Brian last year, He's added so many aspects to his offensive game. He doesn't settle for the mid-range. He's driving more. It takes a while to kind of adapt. So he's driving the lane a lot more aggressively. But what comes with that is there's a lot more force when you go to the hoop. So the ball, he's not, he hasn't mastered controlling his speed enough to kiss the ball off the glass to get that soft release. Mm-hmm. Jalen was similar last year, but Jalen's biggest problem last year was going left. If he went left, he was fucked. Guys were hedging him left every chance they got. Uh, Couldn't finish with his left, couldn't dribble on his left. He was just a very one-sided player. This year, he can do both, and he's took that huge jump. And that's 
partly why his percentages are so good at the moment is because now he can score on both hands. He can that change of speed that Jalen Brown's got this year has been phenomenal. It's great to see. When Tatum learns to do that, when he learns to finish with both hands and control his speed and control the way he releases the ball off the glass, those percentages are going to skyrocket. And when they do, he's going to cause a huge issue. I wrote an article about this recently on Celtics Block. When he's playing on all three levels and he's playing great attacking at all three levels, defenders don't know what to do. You push up on him, he's going to blow past you. If you sag off him, he's going to drain it in your face. I agree. As soon as he gets all that set up, like you're saying, I think he's going to be in uh, perennial all-star MVP conversations. Like I'm talking, this kid's going to be fucking amazing. Like people were saying in his rookie year, they said it last last year because of the bullshit Kyrie brought. But as soon as this kid gets all of his like shots in order and learns to kiss it off the glass, like you said, it's just going to be over for the rest of the league like you're already seeing guys stumbling back when he does that little low crossover move to get a little mid-range or three as soon as he can start hitting those down with consistency and driving and hitting all his layups it's over he's gonna average 25 a night it's gonna be fucking insane his defensive numbers are fantastic as well by the way yep. I mean, he's he's a struggling offensively but defensively he's actually playing at a really elite level so he's in the top 85 percent of wings for steals He's also in the he's in the very top. He's like top. He's a hundredth percentile for rebounds off of free throws. Defensive rebounds off of free throws. Tatum's grabbing forty four percent of those. He's he's elite. Him and Brown. Brown's a great defender too. We have solid solid defense, especially for a team that everyone says, oh, they don't have a big man. They can't be effective inside. Tatum, Brown, and even Kemba are just solid perimeter defensive guys. That by the time the ball gets to the paint and they meet Tice or Cantor or Robert Williams when he comes back, it doesn't matter because they're so off balance or so off their game that that perimeter guy is still sticking with them, and we can rotate enough to play super effective defense. And that's why we're, what, top five in the league in defensive rating? It's it's crazy to me that people think that the Celtics need to trade, going back to the beginning of the show, that we need to trade for a guy who can alter shots inside when we have such good perimeter defense and just – good enough guys inside that it doesn't matter if they get by. Those if, this, if the Celtics were going to make a trade, just returning back to that, mm-hmm. I'd much rather them make a trade for scoring off the bench. I agree, 100%. Bertans has been a name that's been thrown around quite regularly um, recently over the last week or two. I don't see that happening. I think that there's going to be a bit of a bidding war for him towards okay. the... Yep trade deadline I don't know if Boston has the assets or will be willing to give up the assets it would take to bring him in I agree another guy I was looking at I wrote an article on this um Bryn Forbes on the Spurs doesn't make a lot of money he makes around like I think it was two or three mil maybe at most he's a solid shooter he shoots around 40 percent from three he can get his buckets he can sit in the corner hit his shots and we wouldn't have to give that much up if the Spurs decide to blow it up or get younger because they're in the playoff run right now. But if they start struggling before the deadline, they could start shipping off a couple assets. Maybe we trade, I hate to see these guys go, but maybe like semi Ojale and like a couple seconds to get Brent Forbes. That wouldn't be that bad if we have another shooter off the bench. Yeah, I mean, the thing for Ojale is what screwed him over is the emergence of Grant Williams. Grant Williams does everything Shemi does, but better. I agree. 
Semi is probably one of the most expendable members of this roster at the moment. Mm-hmm. Brian, Brim Forbes just pulled up his details on um, cleaning the glass. Okay, so he's shooting at 80% from the short mid-range, which just so everybody knows is inside the 14 feet. 4 to 14 feet, he's shooting 46%, 80th percentile. 45% on the long mid, long mid, which leaves him at 45% from all of mid-range. 37% from free. Yeah, I, I'd be happy with this. He'd be a solid backup wing. He'd probably a lot cheaper than Bertans. That's that's a really good idea. That's what I'm saying. He's only 26 years old. He makes not a lot of money at all. That's the important part, I think, to look at here. Because all of these guys we're talking about, Drummond or whatever, have such big contracts that it's hard to trade for them. But a guy like Brandon Forbes comes along, easy guy to trade for, makes his shots, just a solid guy off the bench. And like you said, Grant Williams playing all the defense semi Oshley does, expendable guy like Oshley can't hit his shots consistently, boom, Bryn Forbes, 6'3 wing, 26 years old, hits his shots. That's what we need. I'm tweeting this out and giving you the credit for it as we speak, by the way. I appreciate that a lot. No, I wrote about this like a while ago, I think. I think it was, it was when I came home for Christmas break, so it was like around beginning of December, mid-December. I wrote an article on this. I was like, man, this guy wouldn't be that bad. I think the trade package was like semi Ojale and a couple picks. I'm going to pull it up right now. But yeah, I just saw, I was looking through ESPN trade machine for cheap guys that Celtics could trade for. And I saw his name. I'm like, man, that wouldn't be a bad deal. I think that would be a fantastic deal. The shooting off the bench is exactly what they need at the moment. They've got the defense off the bench already. Brad Wanamaker's no scrub on D. Uh, Romeo Langford's actually been really impressing me on defense. He's super active, super pesky. Grant Williams is Grant Williams. I think he's going to have a fantastic career in the league. I don't think he's ever going to be a superstar. Maybe he'll struggle to even be an all-star, but he'll be a very, very, very effective role player playing the sixth or seventh man for contenders for the majority of his career. I agree. Yeah, I um, I wrote an article on November 25th, and it was – I said we'd give up a first in Romeo Langford. At this point, I think that's a bit too much, but I think semi Ojale in a couple seconds would be enough to get the deal done at this point. Um, and then – so the article I wrote was trading to make a splash. So I wrote a trade that would be a splash, one that would be a wave, and one that would be a tsunami. Drummond was the tsunami. This point, I don't think this is a good trade anymore. It was involving Hayward. But the other one I wrote, it was when Devontae Graham was starting to take off. And so I thought, hmm, maybe the Celtics could pull it off if they traded Romeo if they wanted to, a first and semi for Devontae Graham. But at this point, he might be a little too costly for the Celtics to get. Yeah, I think Devontae Graham's maybe just one step too far in terms of yeah. how much they'd be willing to give up in terms for the, for the return. Mm-hmm. The problem with this trade talk is as well, the Celtics are renowned for standing pat at the trade deadline over the last few years. There's been, especially for me, some like the trade deadline actually finishes at a reasonable time for me, uh, due to the time difference. So I'll be like researching like absolute crazy for di- like you've been doing for different trade scenarios, only for nothing to happen at all. <laughs> uh, so I've kind of removed myself from that at the moment. I've looked, I've spent time looking at what the team needs rather than who the team needs, if that makes sense. So from my perspective, they. I'm not too worried about interior defense. I feel like Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Enes Kanter, Time Lord, when he was healthy, was not doing a terrible job. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, whether or not he's got long-term health issues is another another question. They just said three to four weeks. I'm pretty sure I saw something come up on Twitter where it was like he's in the process of a three to four week recovery process, and after that, it should be. Yeah, the worry is, is it's the hip <clears throat> contusion, right? So yeah, you've got your um your abductors and stuff around that region that can cause like recurring is- injuries, recurring issues. Uh, if he's got like a big hip issue, it could short. Like he relies on his explosiveness. That's one of the major factors for him. Uh, his mobility. Like Anis Cantor's got no hip movement, dude. And uh, <laughs> you don't want that to happen to Rob Williams, especially at such a young age. So hopefully this is just what it is and it's just uh, an injury that's not going to impact his career or impact his ability to stay healthy through seasons. Because if it does, then the Celtics' future at, at the five spot needs a very, very big revaluation. But it's too early to say. I agree. Okay, I'm going to hit you with one last question, then I think we can wrap this up. Uh, broad question here. What are your, I just wrote an article on this, conference finals matchups, and then who do you think is making the NBA finals this year? Huge question. Conference finals is uh, Clippers-Lakers mm-hmm. and Celtics-Bucks. I agree completely. What about your finals matchup? Uh, do I have, uh... My heart tells me it's going to be Celtics Lakers. I agree. I said the same thing. But my he- my head tells me it's going to be Bucks Clippers. Yeah. Ooh, Clippers over the Lakers. I still have the Lakers over the Clippers in my head, but that's it's just so tough to tell for those two teams. Yeah, I I just like um, I just dislike the Lakers, and I like the duo <laughs> of uh, no. To be honest, I like the duo of Kawhi and Paul George. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Davis can get injured at the drop of a hat. It was, he's always had back issues. LeBron's not any younger. Is he still capable of taking over an entire series at the end of the year in the finals? Is it against Kawhi? I mean, that's something he... That's you, tough. Yeah, it's something you have to question. Kawhi's to probably... It's, uh, yeah, it's going to be a tough one, but definitely uh, Celtics to the finals, especially if they finish second and they don't see the books until the conference finals. I agree. The only thing is stopping Giannis. That's going to be the key. I think if we can figure out a way to switch Brown and Tatum on Giannis the whole series, maybe some Ojale and Grant Williams if necessary, I think that's going to be the key to the Celtics beating the Bucks in a seven-game series. Just not even stopping because you can't stop that man. He's too good. Just slowing him down from getting to the rim at some point. Because like we've been talking about, Cantor and Tice are very – they're good inside. They can hold their own. But Giannis is a different monster. I think we need to try to keep him on the perimeter as much as possible. Oh, for sure. The, uh, the only problem is he's starting to hit freeze. I know. That's terrifying. It's so scary. It's I just a, don't know. Yes. Sorry, go ahead. go ahead. No, it's a pain, dude. It's one of those ones where it's you, you, you hope to contain him. And the thing with Giannis is you need to get underneath him. You need to draw those offensive charges early and put him in foul trouble. So yep. he, his aggression kind of lacks off and he starts looking to defer a bit more. And that's exactly what the Celtics did in game one against him last year. Uh, they got underneath him, they trapped him a lot, they drew fouls from him early, and then he had no choice but to defer the ball. And once the ball's out of his hands, the, the Bucks become a lot less of a scary proposition. I agree. Another key I feel like would be once you get Giannis to the paint, Make him kick it out and have guys ready to switch on to Middleton, to switch on to Bledsoe and Matthews. If you can manage to let him, I'm not saying let him get to the paint, but if he gets to the paint, just contest his shot enough where he has to pass it out and then just have like anybody be ready there 
to guard Middleton on the wing. Yeah, I mean, that's all they've got now. Malcolm Brogdon was a huge departure for them. Mm-hmm. And yet they're better. Somehow they're a better basketball team, which doesn't make any fucking sense because Brogdon is playing amazing. And yet the Bucks are still on pace for what? Like fucking 70 wins, 65 wins at least at this point? Yeah, but they like, hit some banana skins. That's the problem with the Bucks. Mm-hmm. They lose random games that you'd never expect them to fucking lose. I know. It's just crazy to think about. They're, they're the gateway. Not the Sixers anymore. The Sixers, fuck Philly. The Bucks are the gateway to the finals for the Celtics, I think. Yeah, no, you've got to go through Milwaukee. That's the, mm-hmm. uh, Mike Budenholz is a great coach as well. Mm-hmm. Milwaukee will be in the conference finals. It's just who they're matching up against. I agree. It's going to be a tough one. Um, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. We talked about a little bit of everything. I appreciate you coming on this podcast so much, man. Yeah, man, anytime, anytime. Guys, if you're listening, you can check me out over at Celtics Blog. I do their podcast as well. Just search Celtics Blog on any major, well, any any fucking, any podcast platform. Uh, you'll find them over there. I host that three times a week. I, it releases on a Monday. Does it release on a Monday? Yeah, it releases on a Monday, a Wednesday, and a Friday. Uh, I catch my articles over there as well. I make sure you keep showing... Jackson Love, man, he's doing his thing over here. It's great. He's got some other guests lined up. Uh, great dude. Show him some love. I appreciate that. I'll leave all of Adam's stuff linked in the tweet that I sent out. And if I write an article about this, um, I'll leave his stuff right there for you guys to click on. But, yeah, thank you guys for tuning in to From the Rafters from Bannertown, USA. See you guys next time.